Okay, so today I'm trying out this. Finally have a, a decent microphone. Um, <laughs> it's been a long time coming. Everyone's always complaining about the sound, so hopefully this one's this one's better. Uh, but I mean, the main reason is I'm not a technical guy. You know, I don't understand how these things work. Mm. So, you know, it's difficult for me to uh, get around to sorting all this stuff. But hopefully, hopefully this will make a difference. So I'll try this mic out. And we have another one as well for when I have um, guests here uh, too. So hopefully the sound quality will be better. So really today, I guess I'm just trying out the equipment really. Got nothing major to talk about. So I guess um, <clears throat> one topic I would, I'll choose, it'd be interesting for me to chat about really, is it's kind of martial arts based really. Although I guess it's relevant to... Um, Qigong teaching as well. Hang on, let's adjust that. Is that all the way up there? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's relevant to Qigong teaching as well, um, but very much it's something that you see, I think, in martial arts teaching in the Tai Chi world that I'm familiar with. And that's really the difficulties of our relationship to power and uh, control and, and dominance, which are, you know, ugh, well, they're, they're dark parts of the human nature, if you like, if you want to label them a good or bad that we really need to get a healthy relationship to. I think that all human beings struggle a little bit with this kind of concept of power. You can see it all through all through life, can't you? Everything from, you know, at the upper echelons of sort of world politics. <laughs> There's obviously a, a desire for power there on lots of levels. Uh, through to, uh, you know, celebrity fame. That's a kind of power, isn't it? Recognition and people worshipping you. If you ever want to see an example of sort of power, the power that's given to someone, then personally, I think sort of concerts or something. I remember going to gigs when I was younger and you'd have the band up on stage and then sort of thousands of people underneath with their arms in the air, almost worshipping them like they're a kind of deity on the stage. And I'm not saying that to put a, a downer upon going to gigs. Of course, you want to go to a gig, go to a gig, enjoy yourself. But it's, it's, it was, it's like a show of power. Like it, there's like a supreme power there. And it's quite funny that I've seen that same kind of energy at protests or, or um, even religious sermons, or I've seen it at political rallies and things like that. They're sort of, it's almost like a, a psychic absorbing of power from the crowd. And I'm not talking on woo-woo on a literal level, although there's probably an aspect to that as well. But you know what I mean? Like it's, it's power being handed over to this individual that's becoming the center of the spotlight. Then, of course, you have people who have issues around the lack of power isn't it? Like a lot of people, their insecurities might come from the fact they don't really have any power in their life. Maybe they were unpopular when they were younger, unskilled, um, or maybe, uh, you know, as they get older, they're in a disempowered position in their job, or, or maybe we don't feel we get the recognition that we want. Our sense of self is damaged by not having that, what we perceive as a sense of power. And lots of us struggle with this. Certainly my myself, when I was younger, I was a fairly uh, unpopular sort of scrawny, goofy kid, you know, who, who was doing martial arts while everyone else was doing cool stuff, you know. And so it, my popularity wasn't really very high. So I always felt a kind of sense of lack of power when I was younger. And then, of course, what happens is you end up in a situation like, for me, when I was teaching, definitely too young, way too young to start teaching. Lots of people criticized me for many things. They criticized me from all sorts of stuff, from my name um, through to the not being with a famous sort of lineage teacher because my teacher is a bit more underground they don't like that through to the way that I do things or, or whatever and, and many of the times I think those criticisms are um, 
not founded in anything. I don't agree with them. I don't respect those criticisms. I believe them to be wrong. But one thing people do criticize me on, which is correct, and I see this many times, is they say that I started teaching too young, which is true. I definitely did. So to the, to the critics and the haters, I agree with you. I shouldn't have taught. When I did, I was just put in a situation where it seemed like a good idea at the time. Should have waited a bit, but that's okay. It's a long time ago now. Um, so yeah, like when I started teaching, I went from a situation of being disempowered, if you want, viewing myself as having no power to then all of a sudden being in front of a group of people teaching uh, Tai Chi originally, was it? Or Xingyi? I don't know, something, whatever I taught originally anyway. I was in front of a group of people and that group of people gradually expanded because they liked what I was doing. Um, or I assume that's why they were there. And then they, the, the sort of in some degrees as well, I mean, because I think some people have an unhealthy ability to hand away their power. So I don't think it's unfair to say that at the beginning there was a certain degree of adoration from the people that I was teaching from, some of them. Anyway, not all of them. Some of them are sensible, but some of them are a bit adoring. And that that was a sense of power I'd never had before. And that was a difficult thing to then sort of navigate. How do I suddenly deal with this newfound power, albeit on a very small niche scale in a martial arts class how do i navigate that challenge and not allow it to go to my head and and create problems and to turn me into a immoral or unethical person that takes advantage of people something like that because that's often what happens isn't it when people have no power and then they're put into a position when they suddenly have power or perceived power then it goes to their head and then you get all kinds of, of problems and i think it's something that teachers need to need help with or need instruction on or at least it needs pointing out i very rarely met a young teacher who handles the power of teaching well i just haven't especially not within something like this that is um potentially you know i mean if you're teaching something like tai chi or jigang it doesn't matter if you perceive it as just a body exercise or a health exercise Oftentimes, you will get people come along who see it as something more spiritual, maybe even life-saving on some level. And even if you're trying to say, no, 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 we're just doing it for health or we're just doing it for exercise, they're going to want to see it that way and they're going to project that. So there is a lot of handing off power over to you. And I, I don't know of a young teacher, including the ones I've taught, that I think is handling that well. And I know some of you are young teachers <laughs> under in my organization of advice school that are, that are hearing this, probably thinking, oh, my God, he's having it. And I... I I'm not, I'm not totally shredding you, definitely not. I mean, I like what you're doing. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think it is a difficult thing. If you're young, especially male, I think you are walking a tightrope of trying to deal with these psychological issues and the nature of power. And I think that most young men get it wrong. And I, I still haven't seen a young male that handles it that well. I see them handle it to varying degrees. I see very few older people that handle it well, to be honest. But it is... It should be a major part of our self-analysis. And, and to add to that, I didn't handle it well either. Definitely not. Certainly not. All of a sudden have these people who, who projecting all of these ideas that might not even match what I was trying to project. But projecting them onto me was difficult. It was very difficult. And it is something we should manage. If you're going to teach or you're put into that position of power or people are handing their power over to a certain degree, we, there needs to be a lot of self-analysis of how do we deal with this in the best possible way. You know, I think it should be discussed more. I mean, it's not like there's not hundreds, maybe not hundreds, probably is hundreds of stories out there, isn't there, of 
you know, when things go wrong. You could make an American TV series of it, couldn't you? When teachers go bad and, uh, you know, capture all these horrible things that happen in yoga and, <laughs> and Qigong classes. So, like, power is an odd one because it's all kind of linked into that same part of us, isn't it? That fear, power, hunger, sexuality, dominance, all these kind of things are all kind of like, I suppose on the chakra system, root based of who we are, isn't it? All coming from that fear of survival, of continuation, isn't it? I mean, even on a, a sort of psycho-spiritual level, the desire to um, reproduce on some level is a kind of fear on some level, isn't it? It's like, if I don't reproduce, my lineage will die, the human species will die out. And it might sound weird because you might think that the desire to reproduce is based in um, something more hearty, perhaps, or, or something more fun or exciting. But actually, uh, according to spiritual traditions, the fact that they put it on the lower part of our, our sort of chakra axis or, or lower root center, and of course, I'm using that as a conceptual model more than anything else. But, but low down like that means that it's connected to fear and survival. Once again, very much. It's about continuing the line. And then power is based upon this. If I don't have power, I could be at risk. If myself does not have power, if myself does not have adoration, if it doesn't have position and status, that other people's selves will have more power over me. That's fear once again. Um, it, all of these things are based in it, aren't they? Strength and dominance and overcoming people, competitiveness. This is really the kind of, definitely a, a side of, a side of nature that I think all cultivators will have to encounter at some stage, especially if they either start to develop power, as we said, or even they start to energize themselves when that cheese starts to build. It often builds from the bottom up, generally, even on top-down systems, quite often it appears from the bottom up. So you still have to encounter that side of your nature. And I, I'm not sure that everybody handles it that well, <laughs> to be honest. It's a part of the reason why um, I'm always wary of people that are very much into sexual practices um, with regards to Qigong and the idea of building Qi or building power through that. Because I think that <clears throat> to try to build energy from a, a place that is rooted into the same center as your dominance or your fear or, or whatever is a little risky. And I know there are practitioners that would come at it from a different angle and say that the idea is to um, extract the energy out of that. But okay, fair enough. Like, but it's risky, you know. And I know it's an it's another path that I don't see people handle particularly uh, particularly well. So I'm generally anti the kind of sexual aspect of tantric teachings and things like that in general. Um, I don't think they're useful. I don't think they're good for most people. They're not something I'm a fan of. Um, I think it goes wrong far too often. I think there's, there's less risky ways. So power, dominance. I think a part of the issue is once you start wanting power, I think once you start having a taste of power, then it becomes, you know, like a neural pathway, if you want, it becomes built into it, it becomes habitual. This is a part of the issue, isn't it? There's always that argument for, if somebody has a lot of money, why do they want more money? And you see people asking this all the time, like, but that guy wants it. And it also so become, it gets to a stage where you can't really fathom the decisions that a billionaire makes. Why, say you have a, a sort of stereotypical 
corrupt, greedy billionaire that's selfishly damaging other people or damaging the environment or whatever they're damaging for their financial gains. And people go, well, why is he doing that? He already has loads of money. Or why is this person burning themselves out? They already have tons of money. But what is not realized is that whatever you get begets the desire to get more of it. That's what happens. It builds. It becomes a pathway because it's no longer the end goal. It's the act of getting to that place has become the addiction, has become the thing that, that turns into a, a, a trench in your neural pathways that just keeps running that pattern. And something like finances. Finances, if we look at money, what money often converts into is power, isn't it? We can't really deny the two go hand. If you have someone with no money, like no money, literally nothing, nothing, they're poor as hell, do they have any power? Not usually. It's unusual. If they have any power, it's sometimes based on a kind of weird psychological manipulation of their partner, maybe, or I don't know. They, they'll, they'll, they might find power in other ways in their life, but generally within society and within a community, within a group, they don't have power. We don't associate that with with power. But somebody has billions and billions, untold billions. We can't really deny that that first person has a lot of power. And some people might not like that idea, but. We can even see that that happens within the world, even on our smaller scale, isn't it? How many people have had the experience, if you've got no money, that when somebody finds out you've got no money or other people find out you've got no money or you've got no wealth or you've got no status, they're less interested in you? That happens. I mean, you can't deny the sort of dark side of, of some aspects of the dating world that some people tell me about, not that I've dated in a very, very long time, but, but this is a side of it once someone recognizes that you don't have status or power, you're less interesting to them on, on many levels. So there are so many complications around this and finances as well are very much mixed in, very much mixed in with this idea of dominance and having control. And I think that's why on, on lots of levels, we have a kind of, often there's a psychological distaste for people with a lot of money, isn't there? So, you know, I'm probably mediocre medium i'm not poor but i'm not wealthy i'm sort of somewhere in the middle but I, I i've never been extremely wealthy but i have been extremely um hard up and i do remember that at that time when you're hard up as well as a sort of jealousy or resentment that's often there i think that even if you go beneath that there is a kind of distaste or dislike of people with a lot of money that that is quite common you know, we talk about greedy billionaires or greedy millionaires. We don't normally have a good view of them. But I think that's because psychologically we know that the money leads to power. They have power. So on some level, we know that person has more power than us. So they're now a threat to us. They're a risk. Oftentimes that, that might be true, actually, with some of the actions billionaires take. But sometimes that risk might be imagined or perceived because it can even happen on a smaller layer layer level can't it you can you're maybe you're you have equal wealth with a neighbor and all of a sudden your neighbor has a, a you know a raise at work or suddenly their stocks do really well or they become a billionaire through their crypto or something and all of a sudden they've got more money than the rest of the neighborhood and the rest of the neighborhood then dislike this person why do, Jealousy, maybe, or is possibly. I mean, that's a common human trait. But often I think it's because psychologically a deep part of us knows that all of a sudden we were on an equal level of power. Now that person has more power than us because we're equating their finances with their power. And so they're a risk, they're a threat, you know, they're a problem for us. And that sets off all that fear within us and, and things like this, you know. So it, power is absolute. It's, it's a, a major part of human psychology and within the internal arts it's massive because 
we have perceived feelings of power. What about when you finally, you know, because it is tricky, isn't it? Figure out how to build more chi. Because a lot of people don't know how to build more chi. And it's not, it's not instinctive and it's not easy to guess, I'll be honest, how you build more chi in something like qigong, which is why for a lot of years, most people, including myself, were almost circulating qi, moving qi, things like this, trying to experience qi, but not building qi. Building qi is harder than you think. And, but once you start to build it and that energy builds up and gets stronger, well, that can give you a perceived sense of power. Whether there's more power in the world, you will feel more powerful. So even that becomes a little bit of a sort of patterned sort of drug, an addiction, a neural pathway that's causing you want to build more and more because we become obsessed with this power, this feeling, this sense of power, more strength, more strength. Same in martial arts. You see people in martial arts, the first time they successfully dominate someone, maybe in push hands, maybe they get it right and all of a sudden, bang, anjin, and that person is taken to the floor and under your control. Well, be careful, you all of a sudden have a lot of power over that person. There's a an addictive neural pathway that's building because the more power you have, the more you want, the more it will start to grow, which is why the more money you have, the more money you will still want to get because the money is an expression of power. So you want more power, more dominance. All normal behavior for human beings. So, you know, I'm sure all that sounds obvious. Certainly, if you look at our own lives, there'll have been issues or factors around power or disempowerment. Um, and if we look at the kind of internal martial arts scene or martial arts scene or qigong scene, whatever you're in, yoga scene, I don't know what you do out there, um, we can see that there's issues of power. And it's a constant juggling act that we're constantly uh, sort of working through. If you're teaching, then you've got to, you know, that's a spinning plate there to figure out your ethics, your morality, your power, what you're getting out of it, things like this. You know, that happens. And then as as a student, you have to navigate that as well, because as a student, certainly in something like martial arts, I don't necessarily want to go into under a teacher that has no power. I mean, he has to have power on some level. He has to have the power of that's come from his, um, say the teacher must have had to come from their competency or their ability or their experience. That's the kind of power. I'm naturally disempowered compared to them when I'm learning off them. So comparatively, there's more power there. In martial arts, I would expect them to have some kind of physical power. Internal arts, I want them to have a certain, like a, a high amount of chi. That's a lot of power. You know, the, you, it's a funny one because you, you, you want the teacher to have the things that can lead to that sense of power. But at the same time, you also want a teacher that can handle that power properly. Can they still maintain their ethics or their morality? Are they still decent? Have they developed the quality of kindness that arises alongside this power? Am I safe under their power? Am I going to be manipulated or conned or the big fear everybody has of joining a cult? Or am I going to have my finances taken out of me? Am I going to be sexually dominated, especially in the case of maybe I would say more likely female students going into arts or, or sexually manipulated? there's all of these kind of things isn't there it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to be a student as it's a difficult thing to be a teacher it's very hard because of these these considerations most humans can't handle power they just can't because that power will often then become control and then become dominance and <laughs> here's a funny one if you enjoy teaching say you really love teaching and it's like oh, I'm passionate about it what oh, I really want to teach I want to be in front of a class why Ask yourself why. Is it because you enjoy sharing? Okay, that, that's a positive thing. You know, like, 
I, I enjoy sharing. I mean, this is the main reason why I do these uh, podcasts and chat, really, is because I like to share. That's one thing. But standing in front of a class is different because when other people are there, there's a different factor involved because how much of your enjoyment of teaching and standing in front of a class is because actually you enjoy the power that you have over them. Now, most people might listen to this and shake their head immediately. No, 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 I don't want power over people. Okay, but maybe rephrase it. Maybe it's not power over them, but maybe how maybe you enjoy the power you feel by being in that position. Even if you're not dominant, you're not controlling, you feel more powerful. You are the center of attention and people are there to admire or recognize your skill or competence that they want. And that is a very powerful and alluring feeling. It creeps into the bones. It creeps into the soul until it, it grabs you. And then all of a sudden you look around and you realize, wow, actually, I'm not here to teach them. I'm here in front of this group because it makes me feel good to have the power of teaching. You know, and how healthy is that? I would say not. I would say not at all. And of course, it's never black and white. There's probably a bit of both, isn't there? You enjoy the feeling of teaching, but you probably enjoy sharing and helping as well. It, it, you know, it's, a, it's, it's not all or one or the other, you know. It's a bit of a mix usually. So if you have that, I mean, that's similar maybe to the therapist who enjoys being a therapist because it makes them feel good to be a therapist rather than they purely want to help or the person who does good deeds because they enjoy the gratitude or the person who gives gifts because they really enjoy the praise they get for giving a good gift the the out the end result might be good they still did the thing they did the good thing but the the motive behind it is impure now you might argue does it matter as long as you're not dominating anyone is it okay if you enjoy that sense of power maybe you're a qigong teacher and you're not hurting anyone and everyone gets something out of it and they enjoy it and they love it and they go away and their, their life is better for it. Cool. No problem. You haven't hurt anybody. But inside there's a sense of enjoyment of power and, boy, yes, I'm the big cheese, I'm the bee's knees or, or whatever. If that feeling is there, even if kept to yourself, it can be a problem for cultivation, of course. Because there's a couple of problems. One is, well, there's a few. One is going to strengthen the sense of self. Your sense of self is in, engendered by, wow, powered up by this. That's not great for cultivation. And I often tell people that the worst thing you can do for cultivation is to become a teacher for that reason, because you're often stopped or glass ceilinged as a spiritual practitioner by your position that you already have. It's like the position of teaching is now giving you another barrier to prevent you for spiritual progression. Teaching can be good in other ways. causes you to analyze more. Ooh. The bugs are noisy outside. I don't know if they'll get picked up on this new microphone. We'll find out. Cicada time, I guess. Um, what was I saying? Yes, so it, it's, it can be good. Teaching can be good because you can analyze more. You're helping. You're, you're going deeper into your art. And in some ways, I suppose, on a practical level, you might be supporting yourself from your practice as well. That's great. But they can be negative because all of a sudden teaching is a large label for yourself, an identity that, that becomes a problem for spiritual progression. Another issue for suddenly having that power is how do you know that power won't cause you to want more? So maybe I do my first ever class and I'm like, wow, I feel good about myself because, you know, people are looking at me. I won't admit it, but they were looking at me and they admired what I did and I have sort of respect for the first time in my life. And then three months later, it's still there and then Three years later, it's sort of starting to become a little bit stronger. Ten years down the line, 
power begets more power and you start hunting that power then it's not long until all of a sudden you look around and shit I'm not here for them anymore I'm just here for me I'm I, I'm walking out and I'm walking into the class and all I'm thinking about is you know all of the control I need over these people and then it creates insecurities because what if one of those students doesn't listen to me well that means they don't respect my power or, or more commonly what if that student I'm teaching is also studying with somebody else another teacher and, and that's a big problem for teachers isn't it because we might say things like you know it's better for them to only study in one line and because they're not confused and that's true actually certainly in the beginning years but how much of your threat of them studying with someone else is because actually you're frightened that that other person might have more power over them than you do maybe that teacher looks at that other teacher and has more respect for them and and then you once you go down that trap in your ego you realize that wow what i'm actually protective of students for is that i'm jealous that they look at other people with respect i've had, i mean i've even i've had this with people that i've taught i've taught somebody and then for a lot of years and then i've said um, okay, maybe you should do some teaching. Or they ask me, can I teach? Yeah, sure, get a class. So then they get students. And then, so that's my students. I shouldn't say my students. Somebody I have taught teaching their own students. And then that person that I taught now becomes jealous of their students because their students have an interest in what I'm doing. So now all of a sudden, <laughs> there's a kind of power struggle there the the ego of the 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 second generation teacher should we call them is is a problem because they're not even jealous of a teacher an influence upon one of their own students from outside their school elsewhere but they're jealous of the influence of the person that taught them well it, it's such a complex political tightrope to walk to manage all of these things but that's not that uncommon and I know that's not just in my school I know that happens in many many schools and, and I would say actually that Lotus Nagong the school I run is actually very peaceful and quite smooth compared to a lot of others I grew up around karate organizations and then tai chi organizations when I was younger and qigong organizations I've always been around associations and organizations because what my family did and things and and my family knew other people who run associations and other martial arts. So I've seen all the politics in it. And I'm happy to say that Lotus Nigong is fairly politic, politics level low compared to many other schools. Um, <laughs> for sure. Some of the shit I've seen in some others is... <laughs> I wouldn't want to put up with it, I'll tell you that. But, you know, these things happen. Mm. So, yeah, I'm just sort of rambling about power, really. And if I, if I make it personal, you know, like... I went through all these phases. I went through these phases. It's funny. <laughs> I went through the stage of uh, uh, teaching too young, like I say, like my critics say, and they're right. Yeah. The haters are correct. I, sh I taught too young. And I made all that mistake because all of a sudden I had adoration. I had the respect that I guess I'd really, part of my wounded shadow soul or whatever you want to call it, my shadow self rather, when I was younger, wanted, wanted that recognition. Then when I got it, Blah, there we go, guru status. Um, and I had to really explore that. And some of you know that I stopped teaching for a while and went away to deal with that side of my nature because some people very close to me pointed it out. It's like, Demo, you're becoming a problem. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah, you're right, I'm a, I'm a twat. So I had to go away and, and deal with that. So I worked through that. And then you get the sort of next stage after that is, okay, that never really had any issues with dominance and control in that level, but then the same experiences come up. It's like, hang on, I realize that a lot of my enthusiasm for teaching is because I like being the teacher 
rather than helping other people. And, oh, fuck, my teaching is about me. It's not about them. And the, there's another thing you have to go through, and I certainly had to go through that process. And, and funnily enough, what happened, actually, was when I came out of that process and it stopped being about me, because when I teach, I think it's, you know, as, as much as I can ever know inside myself. I am a bit of a show-off, I admit that. But I think as much as I can, my teaching is about the people I'm teaching. You know, I think... I feel confident saying that now. I do feel confident saying it's not about me, it is about them. And while I'm there, I'm there for them, I, for the people I'm teaching. I do, I, do, I do feel confident saying that, yeah. So what happened when I got to that stage and I sort of worked through that process and got to there was all of a sudden I lost all enthusiasm for teaching. <laughs> all of a sudden, teaching became a chore. It was like overnight, like, boom, I sat there, I've got to deal with this issue of I like the adoration of being a teacher. Boom. Oh, fuck. I don't like teaching. I can't stand it. Like, <laughs> what's going on? It's a job. It's a chore. And it was because I realized that that's what it was. All my love of teaching was just a love of power. And, <laughs> and then you have to kind of reinvigorate yourself and you have to go, where's that part of myself that has love? Where's that part of myself that wants to help? Oh, there it is. Okay, let's try to feed into that, invigorate it. And then that enthusiasm can come back you know, and then, okay, now it's, now it's about these people. And I will say it's easier as well, because if, if the teaching is about you, if I'm teaching for me, then every time a student is disrespectful or does something to piss you off, which will happen or, or will betray you, that happens, you know, you spend a lot of time teaching someone and then they'll turn around and for whatever reason, their issues, they will slag you off or disappear or whatever. These things happen, you know. Um, but if the teaching is about you, that's a massive problem. So then it leaves a big wound. And I've seen that. I've seen people who've taught for 50, 60 years or something like that, longer than me. And you can see all the damage they carry from all the betrayals, either real or perceived, from their own students. It's still 20 years later. It's like, oh, 20 years ago, I spent all this time with this person and then they disappeared and took half the school or they betrayed me or then they went online and said I was a terrible person. And, and, and they're still carrying that wound. And a lot of the time that wound is because betrayal is not very nice admittedly and i've seen some terrible betrayals in these scenes but i think also if the teaching is about you then everything that happens in the school reflects on you that's it like within you it's like oh. whereas once you get to a stage where actually i'm there for other people and, and myself is irrelevant then when those bad things happen which they do it's like oh okay <laughs> no problem that's okay because I'm there for them and that didn't work for them so then they're gone and, and what happens doesn't impact upon me and, and I've had that in this school you know like in earlier years when a, a student a guy named oh, oh I shouldn't name him that's unprofessional isn't it there was a teacher that was very much um, what I would call a blagger I don't know if you use that saying outside the UK not a blogger a blagger like they would make up stuff and create histories that were, they were just a liar basically and would just lie and I, I found that distasteful so I got rid of them, I, and I, I just rung them, and I said, look, it's not working out, you're going to have to go, I, I just, I think you're dishonest, I, I, I want you gone, you know, I think that's basically how I said it, it was a lot of years ago, and then that person went, and then of course what they do is they drop bomb email your whole school saying these terrible things about you, which were once again not true, so those things happen, you know, those things happen, and at the time, that really hurt, it was like a a betrayal and I didn't like the fact that there was probably many people I was teaching well it was a small school at the time so it wasn't that many people it was small scale that were having these negative feelings about me and I'm like oh and I realized oh fuck it's because I don't have a healthy rela relationship 
to the position, the power of being a teacher. So therefore, when these things come back at me, it's a reflection on me, what happens to them and what they say is a reflection on me. Whereas in later years, similar occurrences might have happened, not quite the same, but some, a couple of similar things. I had, I've had people that I've got rid of from the school for various reasons, never for their skill level, generally for their behavior. If I've removed someone, it's because of the ethics or morality of their behavior. So I've had to do that. It's part of the negative part of being a teacher. And, and the same, maybe there's a fallout within a school and it, it's difficult, and, but actually <laughs> in recent years it hasn't affected me at all, like not even slightly. It's okay to the point that even students in the school have been confused and they don't understand why I'm not more hurt or why I'm not more angry or why I'm not bothered. Or, but the, the reason is because the teaching is not about me anymore. It's not. It's about the people I'm teaching. So therefore what happens within that group, I just look and okay, that person's got to be removed from the group because they're not helpful, but it doesn't impact upon me what they do because, you know, my life is mine and my position as a teacher is irrelevant to me. And these are things that are easier to navigate once you have a healthier relationship to power. Now, please don't think I'm saying my relationship to power is perfect. It's definitely not, but I don't think anybody's is. Or few people, there's probably some special ones, isn't there? But it's certainly a lot better than it was. So here's the thing with power. Uh, I, <laughs> here's a demonstration of power that I see in the internal uh, Qigong world. They're still in the Qigong world, but it can also be in the Chai, tai Chi world, which is terrible for it. Tai Chi people have a very bad relationship to power on the whole, I think. But power turns into control, right? So here's the thing. How many teachers will constantly just slag off every other teacher in the scene. It's quite normal. Um, so you, I, almost every Tai Chi teacher I went to when I was younger would slag off other, every other Tai Chi teacher in the scene and Qigong people, not all of them actually, I shouldn't say that. I had some good teachers who didn't. Every Qigong teacher will slag off every other Qigong teacher. Every Neigong teacher will slag off every other Neigong teacher. Oh, it's, it's just so bad. And, and it, after a while, the first time you hear it, you think, oh, it's nice because that teacher has, they're looking out for me. They're saying, oh, don't go to that person, sure. And then it's like the third person they slag off, then the fourth one, then the fifth one. And then by the 20th one, it's like, hang on a minute. There's a bit of a pattern here. So am I in the situation where mine is the only teacher that's any good and all the others are bad? Or is there a vested interest in them being negative about that person? And you will find that teachers will be generally be more negative about either the teachers that are in their local vicinity. Here's a sign. Is your teacher negative about all the other teachers in the local vicinity, your town? There's probably a reason for that. And then is your teacher negative about the more well-known teachers, the more famous ones on the scene, the ones that have bigger schools and more students? If it's those ones, <laughs> is it because they honestly think they're bad or do they have an unhealthy relationship to power? It's a possibility. might not be, but it might be. So it might be if they have an unhealthy relationship to power, what they're seeing is that school is really big and a lot of people are going to them they probably have more wealth, they probably have more finances. Oh shit, they have more power, they have more status, and they have more recognition than me. And here I am in a martial art or something which has a large part of its practice is about relationships to power, and I'm not doing very well. So boom, there it is. So therefore that teacher is bad. And you can tell what happens because normally when the teacher then slags off the other teacher, it'll start with well, their technique's not right. Do you know what I mean? The way they use their feet is not right. The way they use their arms is not right. Ooh, the way they develop power is not right. It might start there. And then a bit further down the line, it will turn into, and their personality's not right, and they're horrible, and I heard this terrible thing about them, and I hear their, and it becomes a personal attack, and they've never met the teacher. They don't know them, but it, it becomes 
a pattern after a while so that more and more and more all they can do is speak negatively uh, about other people. And it's nothing to do with the other person. It's really not. Really what it is about is their relationship to power and control. Because even if they don't fear that their students are going to leave, they're gonna, their teachers and the students are going to stay with them, they still have a fear that their student will have respect for someone that's not them. And that if, if, a, if a person has a, <laughs> like a cup or a, a, a funky glass full of respect, all that respect has to be given to you. And we don't want a portion of that respect given to someone else because then that's giving them power and, and then they're not giving you their full power. And, you know, there's all these <laughs> silly psychological games. And it's very normal for that to happen in martial arts and yoga and qigong and everything I've ever been in meditation. Probably happens in other things. Probably happens in tennis clubs and golf clubs and, I don't know, in corporations. I don't know, probably. I don't know, but it, this is the world I know. It's the world of this scene. So, like... <coughs> And I, 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 again, I don't want to be speaking down from a high and lofty level. There was definitely, when I was younger, there was a phase where I was negative about what everybody else was doing years ago and years past. And, and, um, and even when I was saying it, do you know what I mean? Someone had mentioned a teacher, and I was like, they're shit. <laughs> it was like, a, and, and within me, what was happening was, again, it was that threat to losing my power to that other teacher that, that that person might have adoration for or respect for. That's really what it was about. And I even knew that as I said it. I would say it out loud in my head. It's like, oh, you're just being jealous and worried about power. And and you would know it, but you you kind of try and mask it. But I, I did used to have a lot of insight, personal insight, so I was very self-analytical. I would say self-critical, damaging to my own self-esteem kind of level. Whereas a teacher that has less self-insight or less self-analysis might not even know they're doing that. So they might actually just um, lie to themselves and think that it's not about that. But often that's what it is. And, and as years went on and I learned to let go of that, then it was much better because I actually learned to appreciate what a lot of people were doing in the martial arts scene and in the Qigong scene that wasn't what I was doing. Um, and I got to develop good friends with other people. And most people know I'm very good friends with Adam Meissner. Me and him get on great. And I don't know if I'd have been able to have that friendship with Adam um, when I was younger. Definitely not when I was coming up in the scene because Adam is very skillful. He's very, very good. Um, you can tell Adam's good because... He upsets the vast majority of the Tai Chi world because of this thing, this this power balance. They might pretend it's because they think he's a fraud or a fake, but I, I don't think that's the real reason, actually. I think it's more to do with what I'm talking about in this podcast. But now, as I've got older and more processed this side of myself, because that's what cultivation is about, right? Working through those things within yourself. I'm able to look at um, a friend like Adam Skill and not be, it, it doesn't, it doesn't detract from me. And I don't feel that I lose power because he's good. It, it's not a problem. Like, it's okay. So I can now enjoy the skill level of somebody else. My friend Joey Nishad, who was interviewed recently, he's a total weirdo, but he's very skilled. He's very, very skilled. He's very, very good at what he does. And people underestimate him. And there's um, a brilliant white crane practitioner in, in London that I really like. And there's some Qigong practitioners in America. I really like what they're doing. And, and I go online and more and more I see people that I appreciate what they're doing and they're different from me and maybe one day I'll write a list everyone always writes how much they hate someone maybe I should write a list of appreciation for martial artists or qigong practitioners I've never met but I really like what they're doing I should do that one day but it, it opens you up and you you see it more and it's really nice to see all these people doing well 
And then actually what happens is you do start to develop more clarity actually around what you don't like and honestly what you don't like and honestly what you think is a problem rather than what is a problem because it threatens your sense of power, your sense of position, your jealousy, your envy. And once you have a clear idea, it's like a generally, oh, actually what I've realized is what I don't like is teachers that are abusive or damaging to their students or problematic. I don't like liars. I don't like dishonesty. I don't like people who massively overbloat their CV. That, like, for example, there's um, teachers I met that I knew them when they were training, and I know they've done about five years training, six years training, and then you go on their website and you read their bio and it says, 25 years, trained since a boy, once did a judo class for two days when I was five years old, so now I've trained since five, and this happens a lot, these massively overblown CVs, I don't like that, I'll be honest, because I'm not a fan of dishonesty. But other than that, if they're not damaging someone and they're not dishonest, then I don't, I don't really have a problem. Like, I think it's cool, whatever people want to do. I, I'm not a fan of traditions that are based on imagination. I'm not. But I still don't think they're damaging. I just think they're not correct. I think it's incorrect. I think it is a slight incorrection within understanding of how these arts work. But at the same time, I won't die on that hill to argue about it and slate someone who practices that way because they're not hurting anybody. And I think that's fine if that's what people want to do. And that level of clarity that comes up for them, oh, this is honestly what I find useful. This is what I not find useful. This is the kind of teaching I like. This kind of teaching I don't like is a lot better once it's separated from all the jealousy and the, and the envy. And I do think that a lot of martial arts teachers, Qigong teachers, Tai Chi teachers especially, could benefit from maybe exploring this side of their nature and see how much of what they say is reactivity. Because it all comes down, once again, to that power power does that person have more power than me is that person getting respect from someone i know that a, was a, a student that i was teaching and they have respect for that person and that's not fair i should be getting that is it coming from that side of your nature in which case even from a personal cultivation point of view it does need dealing with because you don't want that you don't want to live with that and how about this you know like there's two ways to get power on a, on a kind of esoteric, energetic level, isn't there? There's the power of building, okay? Building power, developing power, accruing power. It can happen. You can do it that way, of course. But that's the power that generates the desire and need for more power. That's what will happen. But then there's another way to build power, and that is through humility, through release, through emptiness. And that kind of power is a power that kind of comes without you realizing it, just kind of manifests. It's like there's a power in humility and letting go and emptying the self that is bottomless. And because the power is built as a byproduct, it's actually the act of humility and letting go and kindness that becomes the neural pathway, that becomes the addictive thing that you're actually going deeper and deeper and deeper into, which is obviously not so much of a problem. <laughs> it's like I'm addicted to humility and release. Perfect. Great. That's more useful. And the power arises as a byproduct. So if those, those two ways can build power, I would say that actually power as a cause and humility as a cause are diametrically opposed to one another. And the humility that's as a cause produces power as an effect. The power that's a cause also produces power as an effect. But the, I hope this isn't too complicated, the humility that produces power as an effect 
remains as humility and kindness and power build together. But the power that builds power as an effect, the cause of power that builds power as an effect, then builds control and dominance as a kind of chain reaction of that. And those are your two paths you can go down. With regards to how this is developed, people might say, oh, you reside in emptiness in meditation. and meditation. That's kind of true. That's all right. You know, become formless in your mind. That's true. But we have to start more simply, and we have to start with our personality, our psychology, our mind. The humble, giving, sharing nature where the teaching is, especially if you're a teacher, where the teaching is not about you, it's about the people that you're teaching. And what you're sharing is about what you can do to help. And it has a kind of blossoming of love behind it, if you want, I suppose, for want of a better term, is something that we can be tackled within ourselves by exploring this kind of innate, inherent, and rooted desire for power and fear that we have inside of ourselves and sense of lack of self-esteem where really this is where the problem arises. And these things need tackling long before we worry about residing in emptiness, especially if we're in a position of real or perceived power over other people. So here's a funny one, he says, <laughs> nearly <laughs> tangling himself up in the wires and I don't know what's going on. I need some wire clips, cable, so clip it under the table, I think. I hope this microphone works. Mm. Here's a funny one as well. Like, <clears throat> training with Chinese teachers is interesting because I think the examples I gave so far very much apply to the Western martial art or Qigong scene, that sort of negativity, don't they? But then there's Chinese, training with Chinese teachers in a Chinese community or society. It's the same kind of problem, but it kind of manifests in a slightly different way from what I see. And, and <laughs> this is the example. I, I went around China for many years, um, as well as Southeast Asia. And in the end, I, I felt more at home in Southeast Asia, to be honest. So I, I, hence the reason I'm here now. China, I liked China. It was interesting, but it was always, I don't know, man, it never, it never suited me. It kind of grated on me a little bit. So all that time, time in China, I was quite pleased when I I managed to shift the teachers in Southeast Asia. Apologies to Chinese people. It's a very interesting country, very beautiful country, but it just, it wasn't my vibe, you know. But I spent a long time there. And I went from different schools, you know, and I had my main teacher. I spent a lot of time with Wang Haitao. Um, I used to go visit a man named Ni Yun Hai a lot. I liked him and, and some others. And um, Hannah Rent, he was cool. Like, I had some people I went to see a lot. But then uh, amongst all that, I would then sort of visit other schools and go out to see other teachers. And I went to the famous places. I went to the Wudang Mountains and tried all the lineages there, and that wasn't really my thing. Fair play if other people want to do it, but it wasn't really my thing. Um, and Shaolin, and then I went to more obscure places, and I ended up going to like most of the provinces in China, just to, not all, but most. Never made it to Xinjiang. I'd like to have seen that, but I never made it there. But I went to lots of provinces in China, and, and I would go and see these teachers of different systems, and normally it was based on like reputation that I'd heard. This guy's amazing, so okay, I'll go track him down and stuff. It was good fun, but there was always the same thing. You meet a Chinese teacher, and the first thing the Chinese teacher would do is show me what you do. You're like, okay, so you show you what they do. And then they just go, no, it's all wrong. Everything you do is wrong. Everything is incorrect. But it's okay, because I will show you the correct way. And actually what you found is the only authentic teacher, and I am the one that knows all of the inner door secrets, and all of the others are wrong, and, and always the same. And it turns out that their family or their lineage has been storing a hidden method that survived the Cultural Revolution, has been tucked away here, and this is the real thing. It's always the same. It's the same story. And the first few times you get it, you do your form, or you show them what you want to show them, and they just they rip you to shreds and go, rubbish, nope, all wrong. And you think, oh, fuck, I must be terrible. But then by the fifth one, and then the sixth one, and then the 35th one, and the 40th person who 
who's done this, and then and then a stranger in the park who just turns up and says, "This is right." You realize, okay, this is a pattern. This is a pattern. This is what happens. So in their mind, maybe they did think what you were doing is crap. Uh, you know, and again, I'm generalizing. There's exceptions. There was other teachers I met that would look and go, "Okay, that's interesting. I have a different take on it." And da, da, da. but but it was quite a normal pattern to have that. And it wasn't just because I was terrible. <laughs> it might be that, but I know other people that had similar experiences everywhere they went. It, it's what happened there. And the same story. The teacher says this, and this is the, this is the method you get of control from Chinese teachers. Usually, first of all, what I told you, they say, "No, yours is the wrong one." I have the authentic way. This is the family secret. The true lineage. I will teach you the real thing. That's the first one. And of course, every Chinese master is the secret, the bee's knees, and the real one. And from a true lineage, and all the other lineages are rubbish. And then the next one they do is, if that doesn't work, what you're doing is dangerous. That's the one you'll hear, and you'll hear it in the Qigong world all the time. No, no, no. What you're doing is dangerous. You could get problems from that. And then they'll they'll find something. Oh, you get migraines. And you go, yeah, yeah. Well, migraines are in my family. No, no, no. It's because the qigong is wrong. It's the qigong is wrong. You are damaging yourself. What that other teacher taught you was wrong. And it's like, oh, but, but my family gets my like my brother and my dad and my uncle get migraines. No, 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 no. That's unrelated. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's in your family, but it's okay. It's because the qigong is wrong. And you, you it's the same thing. It's for safety then. So <laughs> I hear this so many times that after a while, then what happens is. Their students then start to parrot it as well. They start to repeat it because why shouldn't a, a student trust their teacher? Because their teacher is all seeing and all knowing and free and above such petty jealousies. And mudita is radiating out of them, so they wouldn't lie to them and they wouldn't possibly be telling them stories for control mechanisms, would they? Definitely not. So then it gets more complicated because even teachers with skill can do this. So, for example, I've met Nagong practitioners that were very, very good, very, very high level. But they still were subject to these psychological issues and these weaknesses around power and control and jealousy were still there. Not all. I've met some great Nagong practitioners um, in my life that don't have those qualities. So please don't think I'm talking about all of them. And it's not. It's definitely not a quality that people I, that I'm studying with at the moment. Um, but certainly was when I, some of the ones I was with when I was younger. So the problem is that teacher has skill, demonstrable profound skill so therefore they must be above petty jealousies nope afraid not so for example take the dantian for example there are several ways to develop the dantian there's also several locations for the dantian it's not even the same place and i've studied a few different methods i've studied methods that are based on the dantian being in the abdomen uh, the usual place that they want to talk about in qigong books two sundown blah 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 i've i've trained in methods where they put the perineum the lower uh, the lower dantian at the perineum i've trained in methods where they put the lower dantian higher at the navel i even trained in one method where they put the lower dantian down and just sort of how do you describe it, just behind the, the sort of sexual, low down in the groin, in the abdomen and forward. And each of those then has a valid method. Some, like the one I teach, will build a yin field, a magnetic field, and, and take the chi into it. Some will simply send energy to that area. Some will develop cellular changes in the body. There's all different methods, right? Now, I've, you know, I'd, to break down developing the Dantian in different Nagon lineages would take a while and be very nerdy and probably not very interesting to, to most people. But there's various ways of doing it, and they're all pretty effective. You know, I've seen people with skill from all of those traditions, all of those lineages, right? So the method I teach is based on, as most people know, a yin field gathering and then putting yang chi into that space. The reason I do that is because I find it's the most effective for most people. Um, gets you going. 
gets the engine in the system and boom, bobs your ankle off, you go, you're up and running. But then for advanced students, I shift to another method um, that's a little bit more difficult, so it's less accessible, but um, it's effective as well, and it, it leads to a different result. So I'm not, I'm not subject to those kind of prejudices that exist within Chinese lines, and yet I know that each of those lines with developing the Dantian will all say that the other Dantian development methods are wrong. They all do. They all say it's wrong. I know they do. And they'll say, no, 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 it's wrong. Ours is the real way. And they all say the other ways are dangerous. And then what I see is the Western students in the Neigong and Qigong traditions parroting it. I see them writing it online. I see them writing it here. I see them writing it there. They discuss it themselves. They put it on forums. And of course, there's two things going on. One, the student is parroting the Chinese master because they believe the Chinese master is infallible. So therefore, it must be correct. Not realizing that the teacher is subject to the petty jealousies as well. But then also they have their own petty jealousies and control mechanisms of anyone that they're teaching who might be involved in any of the other methods of developing the Dantian. Ugh, it's the same old problem over and over again that's being repeated into more generations. And the truth is, there are many, many ways to do things within the body. There's many methods. There's, there's several ways to develop internal force in Tai Chi. I know ways of inter uh, that teachers use of developing internal force in Tai Chi that are just so based in illogic, it's crazy. It doesn't seem like it should build internal force, but it does. And then there are other methods of building internal force in Tai Chi that are more logical. It's like, okay, that, yeah, that makes sense. And I've been to a lot of Tai Chi people with skill, and they have different ways of doing it, and, and they clash. And again, a lot of them will say, no, all the other methods are wrong. Mine's the only one. The other methods are dangerous, blah, blah, blah. It's the same old shit. All of those things are so... Um, boring and repetitive that it, I think it's increasingly why I started to step more and more out of this scene because I realized just how polarized easily how easy it is to become polarized by the prejudices and views and the power and control mechanisms of of, of being a teacher or the teacher's teacher or the teacher's teacher or the lineage or, or whatever and it's so much it's just it's basic isn't it like, aren't these basic human qualities that we should learn as a child to not be jealous of the other kid's toy and to not think that our toy is the best and every other child is an enemy or a threat and we must learn how to share and how to enjoy the achievements of others and to enjoy the vast spectrum of possibilities within this arts? I thought that's kind of basic, but no, it seems that we're supposed to be jealous, petty, and controlling and stick within these contrived methods that enable us to sustain our sense of power. Seems that's the way. I don't know. I don't like it, but <laughs> I get over it. So then, I won't harp on about this too much. I'm mostly testing the microphone now, actually. I'll be honest. I didn't have a plan for this talk. I'm just, <laughs> just rambling. I'm just rambling. Well, there's no guest here today, and I'm talking about things. But how about this as well? Like, if, if Say you're doing martial arts, right? Say you study of martial arts, and martial arts should be about various things. Uh, your body, well, like skill is on the level of the body usually, isn't it? You know, I'm talking like physical proficiency, skill, sort of power, strength, health. How about morality, ethics, kindness, understanding, lightheartedness? Those things should arrive from martial arts training as well for me. So if you have that kind of power and control and jealousy and blah, 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 all of that kind of lower center stuff, is still there. I don't think the art's working because that art should, you can't develop those other qualities at the same time. You can't develop the loving, 
kindness, the generosity, the appreciation of others' achievements, the lightheartedness, the lapsadaisical nature to approach that you take to stresses in life. And I don't know what just fell down off the roof there, but it sounded big and squishy. You know, that you can't develop those kind of qualities at the same time. The humility and the humbleness and the power can't develop at the same time. And it's funny, I have even see people that, are, that I would say that are quite obsessed with power who will slag humility off. Humility is, humility is wrong. Humility is a form of selfishness. Humility is a form of self-centeredness. Humility is the ego. Well, maybe, but I think compared to the, the path of power, it's a lot less egotistical. <laughs> I, think, I think if we put them on a set of scales, here's humility, here's power. Whoa, power's going to be a lot heavier. It's going to weigh down on those scales a lot more. So, but it's funny that those kind of qualities get demonized. And I think it's often because people have so many of these issues with with power. They would, I would say many teachers would expect humility off their students, but maybe not apply that to themselves. Um, and I, you know, I don't really have a conclusion to that, but I think it's something to explore, you know. And as always, when, I, when I'm talking about these things, I'm not removing myself from it, definitely not. But I, I think that these ideas are things that I think are interesting for people to explore and look at in themselves. Especially if you teach. And you might listen to this and hear it and go, no, that doesn't apply to me. And, and if that's true, then cool. That's really good. I'm really happy for you. That's cool. But if any of it does resonate with you, then I think these are things are quite major, certainly on the cultivation path. I think they're quite huge. If you're interested in cultivation, I mean like to go as high as you can spiritually or whatever, or however you want to word it, you know what I mean? Find God, I don't care. Then, then the, I think these are things are quite relevant. I think they're quite important. Certainly they're spoken about within the vast majority of spiritual and religious traditions, as far as I'm aware. And I think if you're a student, I think they're things to be aware of as well, so that you can recognize that the people teaching you, um, they're not perfect. None of us are. You know, not perfect at all. All subject to standard human flaws. And the quicker we get out of this adoration, taking the teacher's word as gospel mindset, the quicker we can get out of that position of more likely to be at risk of following a path that's not helpful for us or at the worst end of the spectrum, I suppose, being subject to abuse, um, you know, or anything like this. I think these are healthier things to explore. So anyway, sorry rambling another one of those random podcasts with no plan no podcast notes no plan what i was doing um like i say testing out the microphone let's see how the sound goes and um soon i'll get some uh, guests on again and have uh, a chat with them because the feedback's been good actually people like the guests i had on um adam's always controversial isn't he asa who i had on talking about um his experience in vadriana <laughs> that was controversial too i had no idea i don't know the vadriana world very well the sort of scene in it so i didn't know i don't know really know what the pervading views are in it so it was interesting listening to acer and joey was cool to have on for sure um i've got some other people lined up to talk about different things so um and my oh my dad i had my dad on as well didn't i although the the sound went wrong at the end. <laughs> so yeah, I'll get some more people on and, and chat with some folks um, soon. But I think, unless you guys all hate it, I'm going to keep these kind of rambling monologues uh, on here as well. Um, because as much as anything, I do like to share, but I also kind of like to get my thoughts out. And I don't even know if I fully agree with everything I say, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, on these rambles, because I'm just kind of riffing with my own thoughts and thinking out loud, which is helpful for me.
So if none of you listen to it, doesn't matter. It helped me anyway. So thanks very much. <laughs>